Hi everyone, welcome to Type Talks. Today we have all the FJ types, the INFJ, ISFJ, ENFJ, and ESFJ. And so Megan, would you like to tell us a bit about you? Sure. Um, so my name is Megan. I'm an INFJ. Um, I am a writer and I'm also a, a personal professional development coach. Um, I do personality profiling in the Myers-Briggs system. Um, I'm also into the Enneagram and all the other personality theories that are out there. Um, I've been writing for quite a few years now. I have a book about INFJs um, that's available on Amazon. I guess you can find me on, on Twitter and Instagram. It's Megan M. Malone. Um, and then I also have a coaching page on Instagram, which is called Coach with Megan. She is a splendid one, and her book will be linked below. And Jane? Hi, my name is Jane. I'm an ISFJ. Um, I don't do anything related to personality typology for a career. I'm in biotech for my job, um, but I've been, you know, like self-educating uh, about Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and dabbling in some other systems for a few years now. Sweet. And Emerus? Hello. My name's Emrys, or you can call me Emrys anyway, and I am an ENFJ. I am into teaching, love teaching, Dungeons and Dragons, non-dual and esoteric spirituality, and generally trying to be um, a positive influence on people and hopefully myself. You are succeeding at that, Emrys and Strides. And Anna? Uh, well, hi everyone. My name is Anna. I'm from Mexico. I'm an English teacher as a second language. Uh, I love music and acting and I'm 29 years old. So I'm very happy to be here to talk to you guys today. It's wonderful to have you here as well. And so, hi, my name is Joyce and I'm a certified MBTI master practitioner and I facilitate the instrument and organizations. I also coach people and I help people on the discovery process of figuring out their type. So FJs, I'm wondering, what shared qualities do you think you all share together? What are some of the things you think are in common with all of y'all? I can start everyone off. So all of these types have extroverted feeling in their first or second slot. And so that often leads to a looking out after the well-being of the group or people and really wanting people to get along in a way where there's a certain amount of common ground or shared good feelings among the people in the vicinity. So these types really want to be able to get people in a place where their emotional well-being is being taken care of. And that is quite the superpower they share, is looking out for that emotional equilibrium that's in people or in the group around them and trying to make sure that everyone is brought to a good baseline in terms of how they're feeling. And so anyone else want to take it off? Well, I guess uh, another similarity could be like, we come across as very warm people and we're always like, have this kind of bob bobbly personality, you could say. Well, I have heard about that, that we come up as very uh, down to earth people. And I, well, I agree with that. I think that we have that that quality to have, to bring unity in the group, as you said, and like just taking care of everyone. 
yeah, it could be challenging to take care of ourselves, but I think that we can uh, learn how to do that too. So I think that's something that we all share. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, that element of unity and connecting and bonding with people. And there's also an element of emotional appropriateness or knowing what's appropriate for the situation. It's almost like knowing where they are and trying to be kind to their needs or trying to be there for their needs, trying to meet people where their needs are at. I would add that I think um, all FJs tend to be kind of driven by a sense of like a a purpose that's related to helping other people. Um, And so a lot of times I think you see FJs, I'm like curious, I'm like, two of you are in the teaching profession or um, in careers or even just something that they do on the side, whether it's family and friends. Um, It's kind of just this internal drive to help and support other people in whatever way is kind of aligned with our strengths. I'll go ahead and propose like an appreciation for emotional subjectivity while still treating emotion as if it's an objective standard because there's an understanding that everybody experiences the emotions differently and everyone has different emotional boundaries and everyone needs a different kind of um, interaction or response to achieve emotional equilibrium or comfort. But because that's very much a extroverted function, it treats that as if that's the sort of organizing principle behind social interaction. And so it's like subjectivity is the objective standard. Yeah, there's a complexity when it comes to understanding the nuances of interpersonal relationships and how to best meet those nuances within relationships. Yeah, um, the first thing that came to mind was actually very close to what Anna said. Um, I mean, of course, I agree. We all tend to be pretty warm people, and I would really emphasize that um, like, we want to connect with people around us and also connect them with each other. Um, I think we tend to always be, we're always attuned to like, you know, the social sphere and the social dynamics. And we try to influence that, like whether it's in like a more subtle way or like taking a very active role. And we're just trying to, you know, like brighten people's days and make them feel comfortable and cared for. Really good points, Jane. And so it tends to be the FE dominant types, so the ESFJ and the ENFJ that take more dominant roles with influencing the social atmosphere or being more proactive with their social knowledge, if that makes sense. And the INFJ and ISFJ, they do have that strong FE, but it's more in the role of responding to what's there. So they're less about direct influence and they're more about working with with what's already there and trying to be socially polite and socially amiable with the existing social atmosphere. There tends to be a more active role with the FE dominant types. So the ESFJ and the ENFJ, they tend to take care of a bigger scope of people. So not with everyone, but with some of them, they tend to have a quality of stewardship they tend to feel responsible more often for a larger group of people than the introverted versions of these types. And they also sometimes will have a, I know what's best for people kind of vibe too. We're trying really hard not to be cult leaders, but it's difficult. (laughs) So I'm curious then for the, each person, like how big would you say is your sphere of people you feel 
significantly emotionally responsible for? I would say I try uh, not to feel personally responsible for other people because that can be such a burden on us if we do feel personally, you know, responsible for everything, even though maybe internally I have that inside of me. Um, I think that it kind of comes out in two different ways. One being um, like when I see people that are being taken advantage of, even from like a cultural or social standpoint, um, that kind of stuff really bothers me. And I, I want to help in some way. Um, and then also within my realm of influence, um, it's more aligned with like people that I'm coaching or uh, of course, you know, family and friends and that kind of thing. But um, it's more kind of one-on-one, I think. Yeah, I'm trying to think like, um, of course, uh, family and friends are, you know, like the, the innermost circle. Um, and I don't really know like how many people that would be, but the people that I'm actually more like, I guess, actively thinking about or tending to, it's just wild. I guess it's probably not, you know, more than like 20 or 30 because it feels like a lot. Um, but also, you know, it's there's like different environments, too. And that's to say, you know, like at work, for example, um, like we have a really good like social atmosphere. And there have been times where, you know, like I try to coordinate things for like my department which is maybe like 30 people and you know trying to like just do little fun things for everyone like kind of bring up the morale um so i guess it just depends but i suppose it it hasn't really been a group larger than around 30 in that case Mm -hmm. and of course the depth won't be quite the same as like how i kind of feel more responsible for like family and friends but it's still something i very much tend to if that makes sense makes sense and Anna? Uh, well, I think it comes very natural to us. So sometimes I, well, I, I had to learn how to not care like that much for everyone because it can be, um, I mean, not a burden because it, it comes so naturally, but sometimes like when you're seeing something that you don't like, for example, or something that it might not be good for your friends. And, but sometimes you just have to let them like, be right and like you cannot be like oh that's wrong for you or or you shouldn't be doing that or stuff but i think it's like a balanced kind of situation you have to find the balance between trying to help your friends and the people that you're um i don't know that you care about and also respecting their boundaries and like trying not to worry too much because it could be like a lot because like we always like tend to do that right like you care about everyone and you detect everyone needs. So it's like kind of like a balance. I had to learn it. Yeah. But it's, for example, with my students, I can do it freely and it's something that I I do daily, but I think it's different with family and friends. Yeah. And I would um, add to that. I think that, you know, some criticism FJs get is that we can be judgmental or we want to change people to fit kind of what we think they should be. But on the other end, like to what Anna was saying, I think when you learn that, what takes some self-awareness and like seeing that that is something that maybe is part of yourself deep down, like you can actually transform to be much more open and like accepting of people and letting them find their own paths and supporting them in ways that are actually helpful for them. Um, 
So I think like, yes, on one side, FJs can be that way, but they can also be, you know, totally different once that's kind of a lesson that they've learned and something that they've kind of gone through and worked through. And where do you land on that, Emerse? My instinct is to say the entire circle is a sort of fuzzy circle of about 50 people, including friends and family. And then it, people move into and out of that circle of influence, depending on like, are they in a class of mine? Um, do I just meet them randomly? Are they a new friend that comes in? And there are varying levels of like intimacy and amounts of time and energy dedicated to helping at like different sections of the circle. And those also shift depending on like what a particular person is going through. But yeah, I'd say the whole thing is somewhere around 50 people. Although I'm not entirely sure where my, why my brain is giving me that number. As you can see, the IJs here, like the INFJ and ISFJ, are a little bit more likely to have a smaller circle of social concern because they're they have a little bit of more of a mentality of not my circus, not my monkeys. Unless like you get into their bubble, then then they feel immediate responsibility. They do care about the social sphere too, but they're not gonna have as big of a active role as someone who has a higher up extroverted feeling, typically, not everyone. Whereas the FE dominant types, everything is in service of the dominant extroverted feeling. So all of the things that they learn, I guess, like if they take in spiritual philosophies or if they have certain things, sometimes it relates back to how can I connect better with people or how can I foster better relationships or how, how can I have more optimal relationships with people around me. I agree with you. I think we're always trying to like find a way to connect better with people and like trying to get like, um, yeah, to improve our relationships and connect stronger with people and like trying to just that sense of unity, uh, unity. Yeah. Sorry. Unity, uh, with the people that is around us, even people at work or family, well, at, at least for me, that's something that is very, very true. Like I'm always trying to find better ways to connect with, with people. And I think you guys are the same, right? Like trying to find ways to connect with people. Yeah, I don't know if Jane uh, would would um, relate to this as well, but I feel like I, I definitely value relationships and I want to have positive relationships. I wouldn't say I'm constantly looking for ways to improve my relate relationships i think kind of to joyce's earlier point maybe that's that's like a, important but it's not like my main thing um so yeah i don't i don't know how jane you feel about that i could i think i mostly agree with that um it's like especially lately i feel like i have been very conscious of you know like how i can connect better with people and deepen my relationships with them but I mean I definitely wasn't as focused on that even just like I don't know like when I started college so it's I could say it's somewhat more of a recent development ish for me relatively speaking and it is true like of course it's not like my main goal but I feel like it is something that I think about a lot so I do, I pretty much agree, but it is kind of hard to say sometimes. I don't know if this is a result of having auxiliary NI, but for me, the sustenance of relationships takes that constant spot, but the like improvement of it 
I tend to pursue in a more abstract way where I'm looking for relational or spiritual or emotional like techniques or approaches that lead to that are applicable in like the largest number of scenarios and the largest number of people and especially applicable for changing my perception of reality in such a way that I'm more able to connect with people more deeply. Um, And like, even now I'm speaking very abstractly about it, but for that reason, that deepening of relationship, um, it only technically happens with very specific people who are interested in the same kinds of approaches to the deepening of the relationship. I think that people tend to think it's that I'm doing it all the time because for me, the like, baseline depth of relationship is like super deep intimate friendship where it's like that's I'm comfortable going to that space with almost anybody but then attempting to go deeper than that is something that I've only found like certain methods for doing and so if someone's interested in like approaching relationship in the same way where you're almost trying to like essentially create like a mental and emotional connection where you're almost like like mind melding to use an overdramatic metaphor, then like that's something I would only attempt people who want to go to that level of depth and who show an interest in the techniques that like lead to that level of depth or just the ways of interacting. I'm saying it very like dramatically by saying technique, but it's, it's just ways of interacting with people. That's wonderful. And so that brings us to how the NFJs with NI and FE will approach their extroverted feeling in a different way. So they'll take it in a more abstract level. So they'll approach their relationships more on like, how can I understand human beings on this? On this, How do I shift my frame of mind or change the way that I approach life? How can I figure out a way to get more metaphysically entrenched into how another person thinks or how they see the world or how how can I understand their worldview more so that we can deep I can deepen my understanding of the ob- abstract concept that it is that person so that we can feel like our minds are melding like what Emma said yeah uh, oh sorry continue yes yeah, sorry <laughs> I, I I was just gonna um say that what Emerus was saying about how hit like he's explaining like the FE kind of fueling in I, which is, or no, sorry, in I fueling FE for ENFJs. Um, and that was a great explanation of that. And I feel like it's kind of similar um, to what I experienced, but opposite, whereas FE is really fueling in I. Um, so the interactions I have and the relationships I have are kind of giving me insights into different perspectives to kind of fuel that NI thought process and that understanding um, of people as a whole and um, relationships as a whole. And um, so, yeah, I guess it's kind of switched for me. And I would say my goal is not to just develop, like to take these theories and then use it to develop really strong, amazing relationships, but more so to have good relationships, um, but use the information I kind of collect, I guess, in my relationships to kind of fuel the ideas that I have about people and relationship and behavior and those kind of things, culture, society, all that kind of stuff um, is more of how it works for me, I guess. Do you mainly do that through like contemplation or introspection? Like I'm thinking of the inverted process for me is very active or specific activity focused. Like what, what approaches do you use to 
carry out that process. Yeah, I think that and I um, has to be very like introverted and introspective. Um, so definitely like having enough time to myself to write or to think about things. Um, I do a lot of it through writing, um, kind of making sense of things that way. That makes it kind of hard to explain <laughs> what the process is like, but um, if I can ask one more follow up question about the writing portion, like what do you find that writing the ideas or contemplations down adds to the process that's not there if you just like, you know, went for a walk or sat there and stared at a wall and thought about life or something? I think that um, it can be very abstract when it's not like writing it out makes it make sense in a way that then I can like explain to someone else or share with someone else. So it kind of creates that FE, I guess, component to it in a way um, where it goes from like just jumbled up in my mind um, to something that can then be communicated. So I think that's that's why I like the writing process. And sometimes it even makes sense of it for myself as well. So it seems like the ENFJ takes those spiritual beliefs in the metaphysical to like actively apply in their way of connecting with people. I could be getting that wrong. Let me know. It's like, you're just Joyce. <laughs> you're totally off. No, you're pretty close. I think part of that is the tertiary SE that makes it like very focused on like an external method. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there is going to be more of that external method-ing <laughs> that the ENFJ does. They're quicker into action. And so with the INFJ, they typically take the FE and they turn it into some sort of like framework too on how to understand human beings with their introverted thinking. And so it deepens their understanding of how humans work on a more deepened level of, or how reality works on a more deepened level. Also, let me know, Megan, if I am butchering your experience or you have anything to add. No, you explained it even better than I did. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> And so on the converse with the ESFJ and the ISFJ, when they tend to apply their extroverted feeling, it can come out in more practical ways sometimes in the ways that they help people, the ways that they love people, the ways that they appreciate people may have more of a practical application. But I'm wondering if that's true and if y'all relate to that or your thoughts, Anna and Jane. Well, I'll say... That, yeah, that's totally true. I think that I tend to show my love and appreciation for people just by doing things and like trying to, for example, if someone needs a ride or if I can just go with someone to the doctor and like just being there for them, but in like like a practical way for sure. Yes. Yeah, um, I agree. I tend to do pretty practical things to help people, like even if it's just really small everyday things. Um, like, oh, like, I'm going to go get, like, I don't know, a napkin. <laughs> like, do you need one, too? Or just making sure, like, oh, did you, like, do you have um, a jacket? Like, do you need a Tide stick? Just, like, little things like that. Um, or, you know, like, planning things, like, planning get-togethers or just kind of taking that initiative to actually make things happen. I guess that's, like, a good example of how it can come through. Or I guess, like... It's kind of still on the line of like SI, but a little different from what we we're talking about. Um, also, like, you know, capturing like all those small details about someone, like their preferences, um, like, oh, I don't know, like their favorite like cookie or favorite candy. And then 
for their birthday or something, or if they're like having a rough day, uh, just like kind of pull that out of the box. I don't know. And it's like, okay, I know like what will probably help. <laughs> so I guess that's how it comes out. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, you remember all the little details about someone and it helps you love them better. That's so wholesome. Oh. <laughs> and so one of the other differences between these types too is global versus local. And so the ISFJ and the ESFJ tend to help and their thoughts tend to pertain more on a local level. So they tend to think about their immediate friends or community or the people like the situation around them. Whereas with the INFJ and the ENFJ, they tend to be a little bit more global in their way of thinking. So it sometimes like is on this like really grand scale level or on some sort of level that's beyond their immediate lives. And so where their minds pertain typically changes depending on these types may not hold true for everyone. What I'm saying can be interpreted differently depending on the person, but this does hold true on a scale. But yeah, I'm wondering about everyone's thoughts with that. How do you experience that? So I've, I was just speaking about this with a friend recently. I've described it as a automatic focus on the entire ocean. And for me, the entire ocean is not just like the planet, but the entire existent universe and like what will be happening a billion years from now and like what will matter a billion years from now and what won't and what mattered a billion years ago and like all of that. Um, and the thing is that I recognize that like when you put one drop of water in the ocean, it does affect the water molecules immediately around it and, you know, creates ripples that if you want to play with chaos theory, affect the entire ocean. That being said, when I look at that, I've had to find ways to relate that specific event to the entire ocean because my focus is automatically on the entire thing. And if I don't have any way of relating it, the one drop feels entirely insignificant and feels like it's not actually focused on the thing that I'm hoping to create danger in or hoping to contemplate. And so um, that's been an interesting challenge because on the one hand, it's given me a drive to try to seek out, you know, connection between all things. And on the other hand, to recognize that like to help one part of the ocean is to help the whole and that a major part of wisdom is like forgetting the counting of how many people or how many situations you help and just focusing on the one. I love that. Actually, one of my favorite quotes is from Cloud Atlas, and it talks about how, like, what is an ocean but a multitude of drops? Um, and it's exactly the 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 concept that you just said. Um, everything that we do has a huge impact, a huge ripple effect, and I think that way as well. Um, so I try to remember every action that I take, big or small, you know, matters, um, and that goes, you know, for every one of us. Um, and so that's kind of how I kind of view reality, I guess. Um, and so, so yeah, I definitely have a, a care for like, you know, the planet and the world and, you know, the future and all of this kind of stuff. But then also I bring it back to, you know, every step that each person takes is also important in this moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like the comment you made, Emerus, about how if you can't relate the drop back to the ocean, the drop feels insignificant. And so that speaks to like when NFJs can't relate the immediate task back to the greater large scheme, like a grand scale concept that it gets 
really hard to invest into that little drop because it's like, how does this fit? Like whenever you're a part of anything, your brain automatically subconsciously or consciously thinks to itself, how does this fit into the bigger scope of life existence at large? And if it doesn't, then it's like, huh, then, cause you're trying to like everything, like, <laughs> like your brain won't take in details unless it can fit into a larger schema. And so it's like, well, I, I can't absorb this detail unless it makes sense with this larger schema. I would also say that the details that do get absorbed feel entirely like insignificant or flat or lifeless without the connection to the whole. Yeah. And so the SFJs are actually more immediately extroverted feeling seeming because they can tap into their FE quicker because it like the the NFJs experience their extroverted feeling a little bit more metaphysically. So th they go through those kind of like quandaries of a like human existence. Whereas like SFJs, it, you, it's more obvious to see their FE because they are applying it very often in their lives daily. And, and so yeah, ISFJs or ESFJs sometimes can be easier to spot in that way. Not everyone, but because it's more applicable, you'll see it a little bit more, obviously. What are your thoughts, Jane and Anna? I mean, so Megan and Emerus, what you, everything you just described, I think it's really cool. And I mean, it's like really, I don't know, it's just nice to know that there are some people who do think so much about, you know, like our greater impact and just kind of like how everything is connected because it not everyone thinks like that and it makes me feel like okay maybe we are like a little more okay than I thought we are but um yeah I can't say I think I don't really focus on that like as a default like definitely not there are, I, I feel like I have like m like random moments where um I'll feel like I'll think a lot about you know like a certain issue um I don't just like for example just like climate change um and I'll I'll like focus and feel really passionate about it like randomly but and I'm always generally conscious of those things but I don't I don't actually give a lot of uh active thought to them if that makes sense because I am more focused on kind of what's more immediately around me and it's not I don't want to paint it as feeling like I can't you know like influence the greater scope because I know that's not entirely true um but there are times when it's like oh well there's a lot going on <laughs> like there are certain things I know that I can have a very like immediate like obvious impact on like things that are happening around me with people I know and in my daily life um so and then there are things that you know like I could do I could uh contribute like a little bit but I know that it's it kind of feels like a higher ROI in a sense to focus on like I don't know people in my life or yeah just kind of like what's I guess more immediately in my own scope um yeah I'm not really sure how else to explain <laughs> but I guess it's just I I definitely tend to focus more on what I can like what I can immediately see and have an impact on because it's like I know that I can help with that for sure. Like in a way that like you, you, like you could tell you're making an impact basically. That was kind of like rambling, but that's my answer. Uh, well, I would agree with Jane 100% because I think uh, 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I can see for sure, like the greater picture and like, see like future, like thinking future oriented, but uh, personally is not something that I try to impact. I try just to like work on the immediate uh, context that I have and the immediate situation. And I think by just my way to processing, processing that is like, if I help in this particular experience or situation that is close to me, I'm going to have like a bigger impact in the, in the future as well. But it's not something like I think I do consciously or I think I just try to help whatever I can, like what is closer to me. And, and yeah, I don't think about like in the future that much, to be honest. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. And so it's not just the SPs, like it's not just the SE users that live in the present. The SJs also live in, a, in the present too, to a certain extent, because it's about real life and real life is lived in the present. So I believe that everyone can think about big causes and everyone does think about climate change and those big impact things. I think what causes the differentiation is like with the NFJs, it's almost like you can't take in information or your brain refuses to take in details unless you can figure out how it fits into the larger context. And so that's where the information, like it, it's almost like your brain wants to kick it out. <laughs> like it wants to kick out the details unless it can figure out where it, where it already fits in this like bigger schema. Your brain will refuse to take in the smaller like the, the bits of information until it can figure out the bigger schema in which it fits into, because it feels pointless or meaningless to put it in unless you know the meaning. Whereas I find that with SFJs, you can still remember the details and find importance in them sometimes, even when it doesn't have to fit into why the universe exists. It's like, well, I can still care about learning about these things, even if, even if there's no larger thing that it plays into. But everyone cares about bigger causes, like everyone, because it's, it's a human thing. Oh, can I add a clarifier? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I just want to say with um, like the answer I gave, I think because it's kind of hard to explain. I think that's why I was kind of struggling because it's not necessarily like a conscious decision, you know, like if we focus more global or local. And even when like when I was describing it, it might have made it kind of sound like that because it's just kind of inherently hard to describe something that isn't that conscious. Um, so yeah, it's not like I'm sitting there like weighing like, oh, should I do this or should I do this? Like, oh, I should put my resources towards this. It's just like, I can't really help it. Absolutely. Yeah. The things that we're describing in this session, they just come automatically to everyone here. The reason why we're saying it out loud is that if you have someone in your life and they're an FJ type and you know that, these are a few differentiations to help you figure out what type of FJ they might be. Like if you look at them in their day-to-day -day life, do you think that they're more local in their scope, that they're typically tending to their immediate situation or their immediate family or immediate community? Or do you think their kind of mind is preoccupied by that more global global issuing? <laughs> It'll help you type someone. So that's that's what I'm saying. I had a question um, that I was just going to pose to the SFJs. Um, do you feel stressed when responding or when you feel like there's like a need to respond to like a global thing or something like that going on in the world? Does How does how do you feel about your ability, to, I guess, to respond to things like that? You mean like if there is like a 
global situation happening? How would you react to that or? Um, yeah, I guess um, the reason I, I was asking is because uh, sometimes like when there's like an immediate need that can cause me to feel a little bit stressed. Like I don't just naturally respond to it right away. Like, uh, like if a family member gets sick, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like so much that I have to like think okay. about now. And I don't, I don't know if you all feel that way. I, I don't know. I guess just like what kind of like FE related thing maybe makes you feel stressed is my question. I think, well, me particularly, I, I try to, when I am under stressed, there's like an instinct that I have to do something about it. And like, I don't know, I don't normally freeze about the situation. I try to handle it uh, just as it, as it comes. And later, probably I will be like, oh, my God, that was so stressful. And like I, I give myself time to feel all of the emotion. But I think it's maybe it's just me. But I, I try to respond first and later I feel those emotions in a, in a does, stressful situation. Does that include for global situations as well as like local? Like if you have, you know, a major international event happening or something that you feel like would be good to give to charity for or some other way to contribute to like fighting climate change or something like does that stress you out at all in the moment i think it i think it is stress it stresses me more yeah because I, I feel like i don't have that much control over because i'm i'm not in contact with that situation or i'm not in that place specifically so i tend to be i tend to feel more overwhelmed even though if i donate or do something about it i feel like i i don't have that much of an impact on it and I feel more stressed for sure. Yeah, um, I agree with that. That was a really good way to put it. Like for, let's see, FE stressors, I guess a general way to kind of summarize it is it's stressful when I feel like, you know, like I could respond to something and try to do what I can to help, but it feels like my efforts, like they're obviously not gonna like be able to fix the problem. So that could be on like a really small scale, you know, if it's like a person is just going through a really hard situation and like, you know, you could offer them like uh, your empathy and comfort them, but there really isn't much, like you can't change it. Um, and there's only so much you could do. But I, I would say it's definitely, yes, more stressful when it's say like just a huge like societal or like global issue, um, whether it's, you know, like related to, I guess, like natural things, again, like climate change, or something about like the systems and societal structures we have, or also just about how like people's attitudes. Um, like there are a lot of situations where the solution could fall into any of those categories. And it's like, sure, maybe I can, like, I could donate or I could like just spread the word or just try to educate. I could do all of that and I could try to have my tiny influence, but it is stressful because I know like I'm one person. Um, there is, so, it's like, there's so much that would have to change to actually like make a big difference. And I know that I don't have control over making that happen. Um, it's like either certain people in power, you know, would have to like actually make these certain changes or it's like a bunch of people in society would have to like change how they think about something and change how they act. And I know that I can't, it's like, I can't have a huge impact on that. So that is stressful. 
because it can feel a little like hopeless, I guess. Yeah, so there there is a lesson in this. When we focus on the things that feel out of our control, then you'll notice that our thoughts and feelings become more negative or stressed or some other emotion that is on the scale of downness, <laughs> of, of lowness. <laughs> if you focus more on thoughts that are in your control, that you feel like you can do something about, your emotions will either be more neutral or they'll be more positive and more not dooms <laughs> doomsday <-y. laughs> So that is the cool lesson. But Emerson. I have a follow-up question for the um, SJs. Like, there's this concept that shows up in like philosophy of altruism a lot about offering service or love, like with to the best of your ability, but without attachment to the outcome, and seeing the intention with which the service is offered and the act of service itself as the important aspect of the equation, and then like being like, I have no idea how this service will be received or whether or not it will be effective, but I'm just going to offer it and try to let go of the outcome. And I'm curious on your thoughts on this because both of you described like one of the important things for y'all to figure out where you feel most comfortable offering service seems to be like where you feel like you have the most impact or influence, like where the, like as I think uh, Jane put it, uh, if you have good return on investment for the particular service, like what are your thoughts on offering service without attachment to the outcome? Well, I think it's different. I think it depends on the situation, but for example, I, I used to go to church and I used to sing there and I didn't care about the outcome of that, of that. I just did it because I like it. And I, I, I wanted to just give that service, but I think it's different with family and friends. I try to, or sometimes I would like to have like a bigger impact in them and like trying to help them if they are having like a hard time. But I think, well, for me, it depends on the situation, but I, I can definitely uh, do things or, or give a service without expecting anything. But I think it's more when you're not like too attached to the people that you're giving the service to at least for me. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I think about it. Yeah. I think I could agree with um pretty much what Anna said. Like, it's definitely like, of course I, sometimes I, I can like offer service and not care as much about the outcome, but it is a lot easier to do that when, you know, it's, it's someone like maybe, maybe it's someone you don't even know and like, you'll never see <laughs> or just someone like you don't know that well. Um, I think it just really depends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it seems like the key to altruism and giving without expectation of outcome or some sort of reward comes from a philosophy of non-attachment too. So if you are attached to a certain response that you're expecting, it can make you more expectant of an outcome. And if you're not attached to a certain response, it can make you less. This is also tied to Enneagram. Unhealthy Enneagram twos are likely to expect something in return for their actions. But if they're healthy, then no. So it's a little bit tied to that as well. Megan, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, um, my brain was kind of going all over the place, but um, I, I think that that 
rings true. And I think that can be a learning curve for FJs in general is um, letting go of the attachment to a potential outcome um, and understanding that we don't have control over anything, whether it's the world or someone else's life. Um, and being able to do that can be a very like freeing experience because then you're just giving what you have to give. Um, and in doing that, like, hopefully it does have a good impact, you know, on people around you and the world around you. But if it doesn't, that's not going to like hurt your self-worth. If you tie your self-worth or whether or not you feel good to someone's response to you, if you make a home around someone, you you make it possible for someone else to make you homeless. And so as if you don't expect a response, then if you don't expect something in return, then there's a bit of power you give back to yourself in a certain way because you're not you're not needing something for a sense of feeling okay. And so another difference between these types is orientation around the future. So the INFJ and the ENFJ type do have a type of future pacing to them. And so I was wondering if you both wanted to give your comments on that, Emerus and Megan. How do you experience the future? Yes, I, I'm definitely very future oriented. I mean, it's just kind of kind of a, a default to look into the future and look into progressively doing things that are going to positively impact the future, whether it's for my life or like the world around me. Um, you know, thinking about how things are going to play out in the future. Um, it doesn't like overwhelm me to think about the future. It actually is like exciting to me. And when like, you know, I see, you know, how things are going to have positive impacts in the future, that kind of gives me hope and encouragement. So I don't typically fall into like a doomsday scared about the future kind of thing, because I do look to see like, the positives and the good things that that are happening and i also work towards making like my future for myself you know better every day and in the things that i do so um yeah i i guess that's kind of how how it works for me it's it's kind of hard to explain it much more clearly i guess than that for me it depends on what aspect of the future we're talking about so like the global or universal future. I've been drawn to philosophies that give good arguments to believe that things inevitably evolve and move towards like, um, let's say greater advancement and that like humanity um, can't help but do that. Even if there's like setbacks or it takes several tens of thousands of years or something. Um, so in that sense, I'm very much a, sort of inevitable optimist in the, in the broader scope. For my specific future, it's interesting. I don't think that I tend to um, gain a huge amount of enjoyment about thinking about a particular concrete future or about a set of possible concrete futures. There's occasional like daydreaming about the future, but most of that has to do with its relationship to a particular kind of like experience or atmosphere that I want to create or experience, I'm repeating myself, but um, it's like wanting to be in the present 
and then projecting that out into the future and being like, okay, what kind of present do I want to experience? But it's not very specific. It's more about like how I want to feel about life and how I want to show up in life. Um, and to that extent, like I actually find it much easier to plan for the future when I integrate it into the abstract or internal world. So like a lot of my uh, personal spiritual practices are heavily focused on like setting a particular goal and then like using various, um, I guess like spiritual or mystical like techniques or practices to try to move toward that goal. And that's very much how I relate to like the inner world to the future. But that also makes it difficult to bring the focus back into the present to act in the external world in order to produce the desired results. And I've described this before as like, this sounds weird, but it feels like if you had a, um, if you had like a superpower to just manifest things out of thin air, right? Or like you, you know, we're living in the matrix or something and you could just like create something instantly. And then you suddenly were dropped into a space where you can't do that. And it's like, oh, this is weird that you have to like do things tiny step at a time. Like the entire concept is existing in my internal world or in my mind. And it feels very um, kind of surprising and like jarring that that doesn't immediately translate into change in physical action. It's like, oh, I know exactly what I need to do. I know exactly what this will look like. And then like attempting to apply that in physical action in the present is like, whoa, like, okay, the machine isn't working. Like something caught a hitch or something, like something's not producing here. And there's like a, a snag in translation from the internal to the external world, which is, you know, a useful, um, lesson for like patience and actually living more in the present and like um learning to i would say love more deeply because limitation creates um greater depth of love and appreciation and joy um and then that also is why the spiritual practices are so helpful to me i find that i have to sort of bring the internal and the big picture into the present in order to produce a consistent result of creating change in the external world. Yeah, and one of the ways that future pacing can show up in the NFJs is foreseeing implications of things. So if humanity does this, it seems like it will go down this way. So those kind of almost the humanitarian implications of the actions that people make. So how will this affect humans? on a big scale, sometimes projected down into the future of those people too. And then if it's a negative impact, thinking about how things should actually be. So if people did it this way, then there would be less of these implications or it would be like people will be happier or people would be more filled or this is unnecessary suffering or this is unnecessary conflict. And if they did it this way, then it would save them a lot of that strife that could have been prevented. So there's that future forecasting of how things will unfold over time if things keep going the way that they're going, the trajectory of things, basically. How about Jane and Anna? I know Anna shared about her experience of the, of the future as being like, it's not something that she thinks about a lot. Probably like she thinks about the near future, but that's where it typically goes. But yeah, 
Jane, Anna, do you have any inputs? Uh, well, I guess what you said, it's very true. Um, I tend to think about the immediate future. I try to take the best decisions that I can and have in like good habits that will automatically automatically sorry uh, take me there. So that's how I handle the future. How about you, Jane? Um, I actually was also thinking about um, like ways that like I'm always I'm generally conscious about the future in and it shows up in you know like little habits it's kind of like uh trying to be consistent in certain ways um so that mm, i guess like an example would be you know even just like being in good health <laughs> so like i'll just make sure you know like just generally kind of be conscious of like the choices i make every day um so it's not really for a very specific or concrete outcome, I guess. It's just making sure you do those little things and like the maintenance. So it's always, you're working towards like, just like your well being and best interest, even though it's not like, it's not like a specific goal. Um, and yeah, like that, or again, just kind of general goals for the future, like, um sorry it's kind of hard to like think of examples <laughs> but i'm just thinking even like oh like financial security like j just make sure that i make i always make like good choices today um just kind of be generally conscious of like saving and doing what i can but yeah i don't tend to think extremely far ahead um it, i think more about the immediate future and yeah, because sometimes like thinking about the far future, it just feels like it's so unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, well, I could think this is going to turn out this way, but like, I know there's all these other little factors, like someone could come up at any time. Like, I don't know for sure. So I don't mm -hmm. put a ton of mental energy into kind of like looking far out. Yeah, it's more immediate. Yeah. And I wonder if there are several factors adding to that. So it could be your extroverted intuition, seeing so many pathways for the future. So it's like, why would I guess forward? Because so many things could happen. So I might as well just know it. Um, and another thing that might be adding to that is low extroverted thinking. So it's like, well, thinking ahead in a very pragmatic way is not always something that's at the top of your mind. So it's like, eh, you know, anything could happen in terms of the pragmatic details. And so it's like, it's not something that's super important. So I may not think about it as much. That's very cool. And so Jane mentioned some really interesting points that really match up with the SJ temperament. So they're called the Guardians by Kiersey and Linda Behrens calls them the stabilizers. They're known for being very dutiful, for being very cautious knowing how to get the right things at the right place to the right people at the right time at the right quality so almost being able to preserve maintain to uphold to almost be consistent and so typically like when sj types look to the future it tends to be for matters of security so okay how can i make my future more secure all sj types so typically future oriented planning tends to be related to security, which differs it from the NFJs because 
the NFJs can't help but think on a broad scale. So it's sometimes future projection is more humanitarian in scope. Of course, there's some, some mix up here too, because I, IJ types in general, like the ISFJ and the INFJ, SI and NI, a shared quality that they have is both these functions prepare and project into the future in some way too. So they can have the shared crossover a little bit there. And so I'm wondering everyone, what are five, what are some words and phrases you would use to describe yourself? I'll say caring is a, is a word that I often hear. Um, down to earth, like I said at the beginning, uh, organized. Um, and that's it. <laughs> ESFJs also have the stereotype of being hostess with the mostest. So they're actually like the warmest and fr friendliest and bubbliest, like the caricature ESFJ is known as that. And Anna does have that quality, like the hostess with the mostest, a very warm energy. <laughs> but there are also more serious ESFJs too, like they're not all super bubbly. They're the more SJ ones that are SI heavier are more serious. So I'm not saying like, <laughs> like there's a spectrum, but yeah, you're very caring, Anna. I'm also struggling with this question, but three come to mind, uh, intellectual or perhaps opinionated. Um, and I don't have a single word for the second thing. I'm trying to find the right word. It's like not quite like warm and caring, though that's an aspect of it. It's kind of like open-hearted or empathetic. Like I don't tend to constantly be like offering care unless it's asked for or desired, but there's like a constant openness emotionally. Um, and then the third one, like cat-like, <laughs> like I've been described repeatedly as like similar to a cat. I think personally it's more like, I think fox is a closer one because it's like halfway between cat and dog. <laughs> and I feel like ENFJs have a stereotype of being the like golden retrievers. <laughs> um, and that, but yeah, I've been, I don't know how to, I don't know what other word to use for that collection of ideas. Um, and then the fourth one was uh, like sense oriented. Um, I think the tertiary SE makes it very strong connection to like the physical world, but in a very like playful way and not in necessarily a very like skilled way, like, like being clumsy, but also loving the physical world. <laughs> um, and for a fifth one, I think like I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It's like um, at the risk of sounding weirdly arrogant, like mystical, like all of reality just seems charged with meaning and magic to me. And I don't know how else, like what other word to use to describe that, but I tend to relate to reality and describe reality in those terms. So that ends up being a way that people describe me. Um, I feel like it's such a, like a, a difficult FE thing to like describe yourself. <laughs> We're all struggling with this. Um, 
use, I guess, um, I would use, I would say compassionate or empathetic, um, as well, like someone who cares about the well being of other people. Um, curious or like learning focus, maybe, um, would be another one. Um, probably quiet or soft spoken. Um, some other people would see me that way. Um, reliable and I don't know. Um, probably opinionated or like strong willed, maybe um, would be another one. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fellow quiet person. So I, I really Megan. It's really funny how Anna said she is down to earth. And then Emerus after is like, I'm mystical. <laughs> you know, like That is quite the contrast. Yeah, I also like found it kind of hard to think about this for whatever reason. Um, but I would say, so I'm looking down because I, liter I literally wrote it in a note on my phone. <laughs> um, I would say kind and caring, uh, responsible and conscientious and analytical slash deep thinker. I think those are pretty accurate for me. Joyce, if you're going to torture us with this question, you have to answer it too. I have to answer it too? Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> like, hey, all you FE-focused people, talk about yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't FE pivot this back on me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I couldn't relate to a lot of the words said in this chat. Jane mentioned analytical, and I can relate to that. I would call myself analytical. Intellectual was brought up. Um, I can relate to that. Um, mystical can relate to that. <laughs> I'm just copying your words and the ones that I relate to. If this was an essay at a university, I'd get spammed with plagiarism comments. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, let's see. Um, compassionate, caring, um, insightful, uh, penetrating. So that's another word I would use for myself. And the reason why I would say penetrating is I try to really undress the layers of someone. So I like to take off, you know, their job title or just like the surface features of a person and take down their layers and figure out who they are at their core. Apart from all of the world labels, I want to know who they are truly. And so it's like, I want to strip everything down to find the concept of them or the, and, and, and like, there's this quality, like, um, Emmers mentioned it at the beginning, it's like wanting to meld minds with someone. And so I find that that quality, I, like I try to take off m my layers and <laughs> I kind of like, I want to be able to, or I see myself as penetrating because I kind of like to, to cut to the heart of the matter or cut to the, what really matters. I hope that I can cut to what really matters. I kind of see it like cutting through the noise to get to the, the humanity of it, you know, like let's throw away all of the societal things that weigh us down or the things that weigh us down. And I just want to be with the you, you, not the, not the non you, you. 
So it's like, I want people to throw away their conditioning and to come as they are. And I, and I also want to be able to do the same because I kind I find it quite sad and tragic that people sometimes really heavily identify with their conditioning, the things or thoughts that they've been programmed to think. And I, I just want to know who they are beyond their programming. Who, who is the, the them beyond what society, society might've trained into them. And so I try to be penetrating because I, because I want to be able to get to their soul. <laughs> so yeah, I would use soulful for one of the words too. Um, but I'm looking for a mutual soulfulness because I feel like it would be quite sad to be at my last hour to be like at my dying dead deathbed and to to have never truly connected with someone on a soul level on a real level on a human to human level rather than conditioning to conditioning level I'm really touched by what you said. That's so nice of you that you actually like take the time to to do that. Yeah, I I would love to have a friend like you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I find like a lot of intuitive types tend to think about things in the span of their death. So they're like, I'm I'm gonna think about existence in the span of my death or beyond my death. Let's. And it's like great. <laughs> Because like ever since the beginning of my lifespan, I've thought about how it would be like to die. Like it's just the natural occurrence in in my thought pattern, and everyone's like, "That is weird." That... <laughs> but yeah, oh, thanks for the words of affirmation, Anna. That's speaking of which, I think that is really like beautifully inspiring. Like those kinds of. As we've talked about, everyone ponders those deep questions and those big issues and stuff. And to be a person who is so focused on um, getting right to those concerns and to the deep aspects of human existence, that's like you are um, offering inspiration or offering a, um, to use the word you've used, like that's your muse expression to, um, the rest of humanity because yeah like everybody everybody's going to experience the death process but not that many people think about it and to be able to think about it in a beautiful and compelling and um connective way is offering other people a different way to think about it as well so i think you're doing that with all of those characteristics and we're i think i would speak for all four of us that we're really glad you're in the world joyce this fe words of affirmation i'm Oh my gosh, the uh, the warm fuzzies that this 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 will make my day, and it's really sweet because Emerus knows that one of the concepts that's important to me is the term muse, and I think you use that intentionally because you know that that's also because I couldn't find another word for it. I was like inspiration, ah, <laughs> uh, <neothesaurus. laughs> Oh, thank you. When I'm with fellow FJs, it feels like it's a shower of words of affirmation sometimes. They tend to be the most correlated with words of affirmation and giving them. Um, I have a question, a follow-up question for Jane. You, so when you're engaging in the analytical or deep thinking processes, what topics tend to be the target of those processes for you? That's a good question. Um, 
I'm trying to think like, oh, how do I narrow it down? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of it is about, I guess, people and, you know, like trying to like figure someone out um, or just kind of try to like analyze like why someone does what they do, even if it's like, oh, are you trying to be like an amateur psychologist or something? I just can't help it. Um, it's that. And then there's also like the more scientific uh, area because like I do love science. Um, like ever since I was a kid, I was always very interested in like finding out like how things work and like why, like why is this like this? Why does this happen? So yeah, I guess I see it. It's kind of like the two separate camps. Um, yeah, it's like more like science, uh, natural history, and just like how the how the world works in that way. And then there's like the people side. That makes sense. Thank you. Ooh, that is so cool. What is everyone's interest areas here? Well, I love learning about people, like how they think, and I love psychology. Well, I like to read about that, and I love music and acting, arts. Yeah, that's something that I really enjoy. Spirituality, D and D, fiction, um, like the construction of fiction and stories and like any kinds of activities that produce like altered states of consciousness, like what's possible for humans to experience. Yeah. Um, for me, it's psychology, sociology. Um, I feel like they're all kind of connected, you know, like the interest kind of is, is all connected into politics and religion and all of these issues that impact one another. Um, but really it comes down to human behavior and understanding the mind, I think is kind of like my main area of interest. Yeah. Um, I am also obviously into psychology and like typology systems. And I'm also very interested in like photography, uh, travel, music, and yeah, kind of like the arts. Like I really like theater. Um, and then there's like the scientific interests. <laughs> so like outer space, natural history, biology. That is really, really awesome. And so I hear the theme of people coming up with everyone's answers, something about learning about people, understanding people, observing people. And I don't know, there's a fascination around that. Of course, anyone into typology is going to be into psychology as a natural byproduct. But it seems like FJs have a lot of social curiosity wanting to understand how relationships work, wanting to understand how people work, wanting to know people, get to know them. And so thank you everyone for coming out and being the wonderful souls that you are. This was a grand, wonderful, marvelous time. And so thanks Amaris for coming out and being this mystical human being with your chakras and your spiritualities <laughs> and <laughs> your Mr. Mystical guru, cult leader, embodiment, energy of that. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you're like the wisdom of the universe jam-packed into a human being. And, and so it's it's been really nice to discuss what non-dual practices you have. And it's been very inspiring and awe-touching. Thank you. It's like heartlessly, <laughs> wonderfully encouraging. <laughs> Yeah. 
And thanks, Megan, for coming on this panel. You were a wonderful book. It's on the INFJ personality and it is very digestible. So she's able to put like the functions in a very easy to understand way. So whether you're new to type or you're old to you're, you're older in the type world, you you will enjoy Megan's book. It is very well curated and it is linked below. So if you want to read a well-written work of art, go below. And thanks, Anna, for bringing your bubbly spirit onto this panel. You have a genuine love of people, and it just shows in your very kindness. You're one of the teachers on this panel, and you just have like this really warm vibe. Like you're, you're able to kind of give us that oomph of, wow, she really cares about us. She's, she's here for us. <laughs> and so you really look out for people and it's you. a pleasure to have one. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you make me want more ESFJs in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so Jane, thanks for coming out and bringing your analytical side to this panel. Your interest in science and biology, it gives you that kind of TI twist, you know, you have this very nerdy side and I can relate as a fellow nerd. And so it's good to know that you like to have those niche interests. You're also very sweet and caring. You remember the little details about people and that's what makes you a joy to be around. <laughs> so yeah, everyone here is wonderful. It's nice to be in the company of these types because there's just something very warm, compassionate, caring, and it's almost like you guys have a well of love to give on to the world. I feel like these types are more likely than others, or these types have more of an intrinsic understanding of the importance of unconditional love. It's like, because you understand that people have needs and that it's important to meet those needs for people to feel okay and to be okay, it's almost like there's this well of natural compassion, love, or tenderness towards the world because it's an understanding that people need that to function and people need that to perform at their best or to be their best or to reach their highest potential, that they need that emotional support and they need people to tend for their emotional well-being. And so it's good to have the FJ types there that are there to look out for the emotional health of people. It's almost like you have a radar of care and it's like, all right, my radar is going off. Someone is not feeling okay. <laughs> They're not being cared about. And it allows you to, to love people in the way that they need to be loved, to feel validated, seen, heard, and respected and whole. And so John Beebe talks about extroverted feeling it actually helps people with neuroses a lot because sometimes people who are going through mental illness or certain things are very comforted by the presence of extroverted feeling because extroverted feeling is very warm in a consistent way. So it's there for you. Like it'll meet you where you're at and it will give you that hug that you may have needed dearly. Extroverted feeling is equivalent to first aid for people's hearts. And so it's good that you all are great at giving that kind of treatment to people. And it really helps heal them and it really helps teach them love. And so thanks for teaching everyone love in this panel. 
<laughs> and in your lives. And so, yeah, thanks everyone for watching. I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Thank you.